0: like to um, continue our conversation that we started last Sunday uh, on the New Covenant. Uh, you remember the, the Bible that, that we have? Uh, this, is, this is God's book. Uh, he put it together. It's His gift to us. Um, be on guard. Watch out for anyone who tries to take away from this. Or, for anyone who tries to add uh, to this, um, this book is is a collection of sixty six books, uh, thirty nine in the old testament, twenty seven in the New testament. so it's it's divided, but it's not divided, but it's separated uh, for our ease of navigating it. it It all comes together to form. One book. Even the, even the 39 of the old are not separate from the 27 of the new. We needed those to get to the 27 uh, of, the, of the new. Um, and they come together to, to form this wonderful gift from God uh, that is His Word. You remember the, the word testament uh, means covenant. So you've got the old covenant... And then you've got the New Covenant, the Old Testament, the New uh, Testament. Can you guys hear me good? Am I on out there? Because I all of a sudden got quiet here, so I'm just making sure. Take a coffee break. Uh, Praise the Lord. So what kind of led me down this this path um, was I just you know, wholeheartedly believe, and, and I believe it from Scripture, that that the Lord wants us to be people who are, you know, Romans 15, 13, people filled with joy, uh, peace, overflowing with hope as we trust in the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, that we are to be uh, people of abundant life, that we're to be people of great uh, joy, uh, that 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 this is God's desire for us, this is his plan for us, that this is one of the main reasons why you know, Jesus came. So, uh, so as I was, as I was uh, you know, looking at those, I, I went to uh, Nehemiah 8.10, because that's where Nehemiah gives us that you know, great, great declaration that we, that we hear quoted so often, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that is true. It, the joy you know from the Lord that is of the Lord that is strength uh, to us and so as I as I you know began to study that I, I recognize that Nehemiah really points to to two things and and the result is in in, uh, in verse 11: 12 that the people begin to celebrate and rejoice with great joy they enter into this to this festival And what Nehemiah pointed to was was this sacred day that they were in. And then there was also the understanding. They they understood the word of the Lord. Remember in 8, Ezra's reading the the scripture to them. Ezra's reading the word of the Lord to them. And and the the other Levite priests are explaining that to the people. And it says that they understood the word of the Lord. And and they recognized this. This special day that they you know, were in, and, and because of it, they listened to Nehemiah, who, said, who says they're, they're weeping and, and mourning because of the word of the Lord that's read to them, and Nehemiah stops that. It's very interesting, and says, don't do that. He says, this is a sacred day. This is a day of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's celebrate. Let's, let's rejoice. Um. So, so what really hit me there is that is, is for us, God's people, to, to be filled with joy and peace, we really need to understand the word of the Lord, and we need to understand the day that we are living in. This is the day, Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The day there that, that is being spoken of is the day that the Lord has made that came by the sending of His Son, Jesus, the shedding of His blood, the establishing of a new covenant, the establishing of a new day, the day that we live in, the day of salvation. This is the day of open gates where everyone who will can come to the Lord, Jew Gentile, male, female, from every nation, tribe, language, tongue, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how committed a sinner you were, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this day that we're living in is a day of rejoicing. It says, says, this is the day the Lord has made. I haven't done it. Nothing I could do could ever have done it. This is the day the Lord has made, and in this new covenant day, I will rejoice and be glad. So there's a there is really this don't don't weep. Don't mourn. And interesting that we kind of connect that with repentance, don't we? We kind of connect weeping and, and wailing and mourning and sorrow with, with repentance. And, and in the old testament in the old covenant there is that connection to it but it's not so much in the new covenant it's not so much in the new testament repentance really for us should be a rejoicing thing because we're we're turning away from our old life that has that has just just been a life of robbery death and destruction and we're turning to a new life a new life of freedom and peace and joy, and abundance, and salvation, and eternity. So it's a, it's a, it's a man, I have discovered the error of, error of my ways, and I'm now walking in the path of life. That is something to not weep and mourn about. That's something to rejoice about. A time of celebrating and gladness. A time of rejoicing. And when you look at the New Testament church, Again, the Testament word is covenant. So you could say the new covenant church. You see a church full of the joy of the Lord. You see a church rejoicing. You see a church celebrating. Now, I'm not, there, there's a difference between, between this and, and suffering. We recognize that we're going to suffer for Christ. But if you look at the first church, when they suffered for Christ, it led them to rejoice. Isn't that crazy? They stood in line and were flogged for preaching the name of Jesus. And when they were done, it wasn't weeping and mourning. They rejoiced for having been counted worthy as suffering the same as Christ had suffered. We recognize that we're going to have trouble in this world, but but they, they even... When they experienced trouble and opposition, it didn't lead them to weeping and sorrow. It led them to prayer and asking the Lord for strength to continue to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. Very interesting. So, so that led me to, I, to just wanting to spend some time talking uh, about the new covenant, preaching about the new covenant to, help, to maybe help us gain a greater understanding of this glorious wonderful day that we are living in that is the day that the lord has made that is a day of rejoicing so not going to recap everything we did uh, last sunday let's just let's move on a little bit uh, to uh, to uh, to, uh, to uh, a different part of of this new covenant um, but we did say last Sunday that it's not a it is not a covenant of punishment uh, or fear. It's not a covenant of of fear uh, and and punishment. We have been freed from that, but it's a covenant of adoption, a covenant of of sonship, a covenant of freedom from 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 punishment. Um, so, as we, continue to look at what the new covenant is not and what it now is, as we, as we ended last week with with uh, with the statement that it's a covenant of freedom from those things, let's pick up right there on that the new covenant is a covenant of freedom. It's not a covenant of Of slavery to sin, not a covenant of slavery to fear. It's not a covenant of bondage. It is a covenant of freedom. You remember Galatians uh, 5 1. Galatians 5 1. Paul is writing to the church and he says this It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So so Christ has set us free, and the reason he set us free is that we would be free. He wants us not to, not to be burdened with a yoke of slavery, not to be enslaved and bound by sin, not to be enslaved and imprisoned by fear, not to be enslaved and imprisoned by lies and deception. Uh, he wants us to be uh, free he set us free that we would be free and then you know you connect that with uh with John 8:36 which which you all know very well I'm sure whom the son who is Jesus whom the son sets free is free indeed he's he's free for real he's uh you could connect it to Hebrews um, he's He's free completely, free all the way. Jesus is not an incomplete Savior. He's an all-sufficient Savior. He's able to, you know what Hebrews says, save us to the uttermost, right? So He's able to totally and completely set us free. So So we are in Christ, in this new covenant. Something takes place that the old covenant couldn't do. And it is freedom, freedom for real, freedom indeed, freedom completely, freedom all the way. He set us free so that we would be uh, free. So, because we are, uh, because we have this uh, covenant of, of freedom, um, we need to, we, we recognize that that is a a freedom from punishment uh but it's it's a little bit more than that it's a little bit uh, deeper deeper than that um so so in order to kind of grasp it we've also got to be reminded that this is a a covenant of peace it's a covenant of freedom it's also a covenant of of peace and peace again is a you know like freedom is when you when you really start to dive into it, it's a pretty deep pool. Peace, peace is as well. You know, you you really start wading in there, and, and you realize that peace is is maybe a lot a lot deeper than we than we think it is. And peace isn't just peace isn't just you know that I'm at peace like in myself, but and, and and it is a covenant of that where I'm filled with peace. But but the covenant, the new covenant that, that Jesus came to establish was also to to uh, be, be a covenant where there is now peace between us. There's not, there's not conflict or division or separation, but now people, God's people, can come together in peace. And not just those who were born God's people you know, as Israelites, but Gentiles as well can come together with the Israelites, and together can be in peace. And not only a, it's not only a covenant of peace with us, but, but also now a covenant where there's peace with God, where we have peace with God as well. Something that the old covenant was, was never able to fully and completely uh, establish. Let me read um, Ephesians 2. We'll start at, start at verse 11. Just read down through all this so you can you can see some scripture uh, for it. I'll try to do it quickly. Therefore, remember that formerly you uh, who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, uh, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of uh, the promise without hope and without God in the world uh, so so you know speaking to the gentiles uh, we we were not only separated from the israelites but we were separated uh, from god and and couldn't close that gap without hope but now in christ jesus you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of christ remember the blood of christ has established the new covenant right when we when we share communion we remember the blood of Christ and we remember the new covenant that has been established by the blood of Christ so the new covenant has has put an end to separation and by the blood of Christ we who used to be far away have now been brought near through this new covenant for he himself is our peace. And there's our word that we were looking for right there. Jesus is our peace. Hallelujah. It's a powerful statement. It's a revelation and an understanding that that we need. If my peace is dependent on him, then it's going to remain. It's going to stand. It's going to be full. It's not going to disappear because my peace is, is on him because he is my peace. My peace isn't dependent on anything else. It's all that He has done. But now Christ and His blood and it's His peace. For He, he Himself is our peace. Right? It's the, it's the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations his purpose what is god up to what is his, what is he doing his purpose was to create in himself one new man one humanity out of the two thus making peace so god is wanting there to be there to be peace here wanting there to be peace in our relationships wanting that's that's what he's talking about here. This is, this is people-to-people relationship. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's a Jew-to-Gentile relationship, but it's also people-to-people relationship. In the new covenant, we can have peace with one another, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So not only one another, but also to God, through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So the, so the hostility has been put to death paid for. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. This is a covenant, a covenant not of fighting and warring and separation from one another. It's not a covenant of division from one another. This is a covenant that puts an end to that and makes peace possible so that, so that Jesus has come and he speaks peace to us, speaks peace to our relationships with one another. And that is largely true because he's able to, because he was able to make peace with our relationship with God so that there's peace in our relationship with God and peace in our relationships with one another. That's a beautiful thing. It's an abundant life thing. Because one of the one of the fruits of abundant life that you can absolutely not be without is beautiful life-giving relationships with one another and a beautiful relationship with God the Father, and we can't have that unless there's peace, and Jesus has come through the new covenant and made peace between us and peace between us. There's peace between us, and there's peace between us. Now, what does this, what does this have to do uh, with freedom? I think it's got a lot to do with Freedom. Because one of, the, one of the areas where we really struggle with freedom is in the area of our, of our thinking. It's in, the, it's in the area of our, of our conscience. And, and a lot of the battle is, is guilt, a guilty conscience that we, are, that we are dealing with, that we are struggling with. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of guilt in relationship. And there's a lot of guilt... In relationship and it plagues our meditation or or, you know meditation I mean in, in like a thinking I'm not talking about you know sitting down and you know our our thought life our our thinking it plagues us as we as we you know some people can't even come to pray because there's such conflict in relationships and can't even come to to worship and pray because they still feel such conflict in relationship. So we've got a we've got a we've got a a savior who came to set us free. He's all sufficient. His freedom is is complete, and yet we're not walking in the new covenant freedom that we should walk in because we're still plagued by a guilty conscience. There's there's Guilt in our relationships here and guilt in them here. We're not, so, so we're also not, we're not at peace and not at peace because of our, because of our conscience. Now, the first covenant had difficulty with, with healing the conscience, with freedom all the way to the conscience. But, but when you look at the new covenant you see that the new covenant is able to do what the old covenant could not do, could not accomplish. If you, if you kind of deep study the book of Hebrews, which I encourage you to do, because um, I'd, I'd love to just turn to it and just start reading chapter 1 and, and we could be here. You know, when in, in, in Nehemiah 8, when Ezra got up to read, he read from, from the morning till noon. They started in the morning and he read till noon. So, so we we just need to start earlier, like when the sun comes up, and then I can just read all the way till till noon, the book of Hebrews, and we could get this deep look at the new covenant. When you, when you read the book of Hebrews, you see things. There are some there are some important things that jump out that the new covenant is able to do that the old covenant couldn't do. You'll see the word, you'll see the word perfect arrive, uh, arrive uh, in the book of Hebrews that the old covenant was, was imperfect and not able to make perfect, but the new covenant is able to make perfect, right? Everybody always argues about, about Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, uh, is it 48? It's, it's the last verse in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus speaks to his listeners and he says, he says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, And everybody says, why would he say that? that that's not even possible. That cannot even be done. But, but Hebrews, talking about the new covenant, would disagree. And say that the new covenant is able to make perfect. And is a perfect covenant. And is working perfection in our lives. So that what Jesus stated, he knew was abs- absolutely true because he knew he was about to come and do something that would make our being able to be perfect as the Father is perfect a, a reality, a possibility. You know, everybody's like looking for stones to throw, throw at me. That's okay. I'm quick. Well, I used to be. I don't know that I am anymore. Mm. So, here, here's my trouble it has been trying to decide, you know, where to, because I can't read the whole book of Hebrews, you know, where do we, where do we land here first? So let's, let's go Hebrews 9 and we'll start at verse 11. Uh, some of what's been going on here uh, up to this point has been, has been the writer of Hebrews telling us that, that Jesus is greater than Moses. That Jesus is, is greater than the high priest. Uh, that Jesus uh, went through uh, a greater tabernacle, the, the heavenly one. You know, the earthly one is just a, just a copy of the tabernacle that is in heaven. That's why, that's why Moses had to build it the way that he had to build it. And so the, the high priest would go through a copy of the heavenly tabernacle and and would shed the blood of bulls and goats for his sins and the sins of the people. But it wasn't able to make perfect, or it wasn't able to cleanse the conscience. But that's not what Jesus did. But when Jesus came as high priest of the good things that are That are now already here, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. Jesus is gonna, he's gonna go not through the copy on earth made by human hands, he's gonna go through the heavenly tabernacle. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. So now he's in a heavenly tabernacle, not an earthly one. We, he, has, he has been established as, as, as a high priest, not in the order you know, if we were to go back in, in Hebrews and read, he's been established as a high priest, not in the order of, of Levi, not in the Levitical order, but in the order of Melchizedek. And he, because he's in the order of Melchizedek, has been established as here's another word that you find in Hebrews when it's speaking about the New Covenant. It's the word forever. Things are going to be established. Forever, and they're not going to come to an end. And it says this of Jesus, so that he is, so that he is now priest. He is now high priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. Like the the Levitical priests were born and then they die, and then a new one had to come, and they went through an earthly tabernacle, and they used the blood of bulls and goats, but it was not enough. It had its time and place, but it wasn't sufficient for the, for the freedom that God wanted to bring in our lives, so Jesus had to come as a high priest, not in the order of Levi, but in the order of Melchizedek, high priest forever. Based on the, the basis not of not of a not of a birthright or a human word, but based on the, the basis of an indestructible life. That's Hebrews. He's now come and he's, and he's and he's now going to the heavenly tabernacle, and it's not the blood of goats and calves, it's his own blood, thus, with by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Hallelujah! forever redeemed Do you understand that Jesus has done a forever work it is a complete work it is an eternal work I am forever eternally in in the new covenant redeemed the blood of the 13 the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremony unclean, sanctified them so that they were outwardly clean, how much more then, if if the old covenant did that, sanctified them so they were outwardly clean, if that worked, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, see there's that, that eternal word again, that forever word, the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God the sacrifice of our Savior His blood shed Him going as high priest forever into the into the heavenly tabernacle and and through His blood sanctifying us how how much more does that cleanse our consciences so that not only are we cleansed outwardly, but we are cleansed inwardly, that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven, that we are washed, that we are cleansed. We are cleansed not only outwardly, but we are cleansed in our consciences so that we in Christ and what He has done and in the New covenant, we have a clear conscience. The old covenant was not able to cleanse my conscience. so we walked around guilty. Maybe this is why. Maybe this is why uh, Paul uh, speaks of recognizing in Galatians 2, he speaks of recognizing that the old covenant Wasn't enough. Let me read that. Galatians two. Galatians two eleven. When, when Cephas, that's Peter, uh, came to Antioch, I opposed him. That's Paul speaking. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jewish by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ so we too, we too, he's saying, even though I'm a Jew and not sinful, and Paul said that he was, as far as legalistic righteousness was, that he was faultless, he says, so So we too, Paul and Peter and the Jews, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because because. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul had tried and tried and tried, and yet through his works couldn't cleanse his conscience. There was still the guilt, and there was still not peace, and not peace. And he recognizes, and so did Peter, that no one's justified by the works of the law. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it, really, right? When the day comes and you stand before the Father, you stand before the just judge, do you want to stand there based on your righteous works or do you want to stand there based on the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you want to stand there and and God say, why? You know, if it happens like that, I don't know. If God say, why should I let you in? And you say, well, it's my good works. Do you want to do that? Or do you want to stand there and plead the blood of Jesus and say, the, the only reason you should let me in is because I have run to Jesus, I've run to His to His sacrifice, to His death. I'm covered in His righteousness. I've been washed in His blood. I've entered into covenant with Him. I'm hidden in Jesus. I want to I stand before Him justified not by my works, but by faith in Christ because, because we all know, we all know that by works no one will be justified but what the works of the law were powerless to do, Jesus has done. Hallelujah. By the shedding of His blood, the going into a heavenly tabernacle, and the forgiving of our sins. Where was I in Hebrews 9? What verse was I on? He was it was it 22 Hebrews 9 Back in back in Hebrews 9 verse 16 I'm looking at my time and trying to decide I'll read this quick. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Back up to 15, one second. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Aren't you glad that 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 doesn't just say promised inheritance? That it says promised eternal inheritance? Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Jesus has died. He's paid the price for our sins. In the case of a will, It is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. We understand that. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies, the, uh, the earthly one. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And then there's this powerful statement. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so Jesus, our Savior, came and shed his blood so that there would be forgiveness. So, I, I kind of wrote it down this way. Uh, I don't know if it's good or not, I'll just share it with you. The new covenant is a covenant of freedom and a covenant of peace because it is a covenant of forgiveness. There's, there's able to be Forgiveness because Jesus shed his blood. And so because there's able to be forgiveness because of, because of the shedding of his blood, then there can be peace here. How, how will you have peace without forgiveness? There can be peace here. And because there's forgiveness because of the blood, there can be peace here. I hope I'm connecting these dots for you. When, when there's peace here, Because I'm forgiven. And there's peace here. Because I forgive. There's clarity and clearness. In my conscience. There's nothing there. There's no guilt. It's been cleansed. Because I forgive. And I'm forgiven. Let me read a. Hebrews 8 and then we'll and then we'll close in prayer. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this: we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord and not by mere human beings. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it is necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth he would not be a priest for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy of a copy and shadow of what is in heaven right we've already talked about that this is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain but in fact the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator so the the new covenant is superior to the old "...is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. If it was able to do everything that needed to be done, then Jesus had no need to come. But God found fault with the people and said, "...the days are coming, declares the Lord." When I will make a new covenant, right? This is, a, this is Hebrews quoting, uh, gosh, my mind went, Jeremiah 31. Forgive me if I'm wrong on that. It's, it's right there somewhere. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Now, where is, where is Jesus from? Tribe of Judah. Right, So all who are in Christ are included in that statement right there. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. It's going to be different. It's going to be new. When I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I, for I will forgive for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Hallelujah. Now, go back to that last verse there. Now, now go ahead and go to 13, and then we'll back up. You were right, I was wrong. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and out of date will soon disappear. This is the new covenant. And in the new covenant, there is something that is done that the old covenant couldn't do. Back in verse 12, we are forgiven because of the blood of Christ. Right, because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, right? We already established that. So Jesus, Jesus had to come and shed his blood. And because Jesus came and shed his blood, I am forgiven from my wickedness. Now, all of us know that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We all are aware that we are sinners, we all are aware of our wickedness. But in the new covenant, the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, takes care of the sin issue and we are forgiven and that forgiveness is a remembering of our sins no more. Therefore, able to, able to clear our consciences for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. When we come to Jesus, He has shed His blood and has gone as high priest through a heavenly tabernacle. And in Him we are forgiven and what God has forgiven is forgiven. It's the enemy that comes and tries to accuse you again of sins that you have committed and tries to infect and 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 and, and, and influence your thinking, your thought life, so that instead of a clear conscience, you're, you're weighed down with guilt about things that Jesus' blood has already taken care of and paid the price for, that you have already been forgiven for. So, so, so Jesus can say, because of his blood and we are forgiven, he can say that there's now peace between us. There's peace. Right? I've come to the Lord with an incredible debt that I owe him that I could never repay, and he has forgiven me. Matthew 18, the servant who comes to the master and owes him more money than he can ever repay, and the master says, well, I'm going to put you in prison. And he says, no, please don't do that. Please, please, I'll pay back whatever it is. And, and he says, you know what? You can't pay it back. Jesus has come. For us, if we add him into the story, shed his blood, his blood is sufficient, and because of his blood there is forgiveness, and now the Father has forgiven my sin, and now there's peace, peace between us. There's, I can come to him without a guilty conscience, my conscience is clear. Because of the blood of Jesus. This, is only, this only happens in the new covenant. It only comes from the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What, what, what does it say? Do we catch it? He remembers our sin no more. He forgives and remembers our sin no more. God's not, we, we do that, right? We hold it. We say, well, it's forgiven, but I'm not going to forget it. I'm going to hold it over you. You know, because it's a defense mechanism for us, right? We, but God doesn't do that. What he has forgiven, he has forgiven, and there is peace. It is forgiven, and it's gone. The enemy, the enemy comes and tries to stir it up and, and accuse, right? Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren comes. He's always coming, and, he's, and he is accusing. But they overcame him, how? By the blood of the Lamb. The word of their testimony and they didn't love their lives so much as a shrink from death. But first and foremost is the blood of the lamb. And the blood of the lamb shed on the cross of Calvary is sufficient for the forgiveness of my sins so that they are gone. And my conscience is clear. My conscience is clear. And when when I step in to the forgiveness of Christ. And I am forgiven. One of the transformational works that takes place in my life is I forgive as I have been forgiven. Now under the new covenant, there is, there is, you know, Elizabeth and I have never liked each other, and we fight all the time, and I'm just kidding, you know, obviously, but. And she says bad, mean things to me, hurts my feelings, but I have been forgiven, and so I forgive. And she has been forgiven, and so she forgives. And so now there's, now there's peace, and now there's peace. And now there's, because when I forgive, I remember no more, because that's the way that he's forgiven. So, so there's nothing plaguing my conscience when it comes to my relationships because it's forgiven. I'm not I'm not laying awake at night with guilt because I've been forgiven and I've been forgiven. So so there's peace and there's freedom not only outward but there's freedom in my thoughts. There's freedom in my in my conscience. It's clear. How many people would, and what, how many people would desire a clear conscience? And what would they give for a clear conscience? They'd probably trade all the treasures of this earth just for clarity in their conscience, but we don't have to do any of that. All we have to do is receive the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Receive his sacrifice, trust in him, his forgiveness. And as he forgives and remembers no more, we forgive and remember no more. So the the new covenant, it's a covenant of freedom because I'm forgiven. It's a covenant of peace because I'm forgiven. And not, a, not a, a forgiveness that comes from the shedding of, of animals. And an earthly priest that perishes. And all of it done in a tabernacle set up and built by human hands. It's a forgiveness that has come because of the blood of the only begotten Son of God. Who shed His blood. Who is high priest forever. Who went through a heavenly tabernacle and, 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 and established a new covenant that makes perfect and clears our conscience and sets us free and brings to us peace and gives us not only the understanding that we are forgiven, but also the power to forgive as we have been forgiven. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes